Hello and welcome to the Legendary Women Podcast, where we think every woman deserves to be legendary. So we highlight women who do amazing, meaningful, important, kind, or otherwise, you might say, legendary things. I'm April Walsh. And I'm Margaret Bates. On this podcast, we are interviewing Tope Wen from The Bitch Pack. Well, she is, in a lot of ways, The Bitch Pack. And I'm going to let her tell you all about it. So, okay, what is the origin story of Uh, The Bitch Pack? It was because I was taking writing classes and no one knew really what the Bechdel test was. So my classmates were writing these female characters who were disposable and some of the teachers said that was okay and I didn't think so in my book. And then I saw a feminist frequency video about how few films that year um, in the Oscar race passed the Bechdel test. And uh, being a public policy major before I thought that you know, you have to go upstream to find where the problem is. So if we want more Bechdel test passing films, we need more Bechdel test passing screenplays. So I naturally put that together and started looking for them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Did um, you get pushback either from the professors or from the other students at um, your university when you started sort of saying, hey, this is the the Bechdel test. You're not having, you know, even two women have a conversation that's substantive between each other. Or did you know, was that a transition more smooth or did people like sort of take notice of it? How did that go over? That's a great question. And uh, I do have to say that most of the men in that particular group were pretty immature and um, just couldn't get down with that. (laughs) And it wasn't as recognized, uh, you know, in that particular uh, group of people. And so they, one particular kind of dubbed uh, me and um, a couple other female students, the bitch pack. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, we suck the air out of the room wherever we went. Oh, my God. And well, I think that's kind of stuck. so amazing to, like, own it and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm a bitch pack person, but I'm still pointing out some major flaws in your screenplay work. Or just that trend of disposable characters, which reminds me of, have you ever seen that Twitter where it's um, this producer who, or anonymous agent, I can't remember which exactly he is, but he tweets up descriptions of female characters from scripts I've actually read and it's like Betty is a beautiful lab assistant but she doesn't know it and you're like um like so many of the descriptions sound like not to be disparaging but like out of a romance novel but reverse where it's like making sure you get the female appearance first or she doesn't know she's sexy and then maybe something about her personality and I absolutely love the the you don't know you're beautiful just trope across music across movies across books because it's not actually about the woman it's about if she doesn't know she's beautiful then she'll stay with me she doesn't know what else Mm, is out there she doesn't know she can do better Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Ross Putnam film um, at FemScript intros. Yeah, I love that one. I think it's just really interesting to see how many, hopefully, but probably not all of them that stayed in the slush pile or came from the slush pile were f- full of just, hey, sexy lab assistant, and hey, put upon wife who's still kind of hot. Like you're like, mm-hmm. hey, do they have goals, dreams? Are they people? So I wonder. Yeah, it's much more um, pervasive than we think. Just keeping in touch with uh, readers in LA too. I mean, they post things up in our private Facebook groups that are like that all day long. And they can't believe that, you know, certain projects are are repped or pushed that just can't see past that. When I was auditioning for things, uh, they weren't even hiding it. They were very, very bold about things, even in extra work. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, you'd have to do these call-in lines and uh, they put the descriptions out. And I always just look for all types. I'm like, oh, good, all types, you know? And back then I'm like a size 10, you know, I'm heavy. But I'm not 
heavy. And uh, I remember it was really hard as a size 10, which was very average. Right. My uh, friend Allison Stolpa, her handle is um, at adult underscore goth. She said that she saw a casting where they said size six or size eight and up was already plus size. And so many descriptions I read too from castings of other projects, they're impossible. They want like someone, a woman who's 5'11", but 105 pounds and is, you know, of course, quote unquote, sexy or whatever, awful description. And forget it if you're over 50. My God. Or if if you're 5'11 and you're like 105 pounds, I don't know why they think, not to disparage anyone who is, but that's, that would be for that height so so skinny it would be literally the literal definition of anorexia is 10 15 underweight for height and that would that would mean it just based on the tonus of somebody and like oh you're voluptuous but a lot of times there's somatotypes of women who probably don't exist or you wouldn't really realize what it looks like when you see it in person you're like wait a minute so it's it's just and i guess maybe they're going six to eight is heavy or plus size because that i think is also the standard like size six and up is considered a like a, a runway model yeah, we definitely, uh, it, this is definitely an, an issue dear to my heart too. Just, you know, well, me and Margaret are both plus size women. And while we're trying to change certain things uh, about ourselves and our habits, we're trying to also keep our self-esteem nice and level, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's about what needs to be changed. But there's room for all of us, which is why, I mean, I don't want to go too off topic, but yeah, like there's something about, let's say all about that base that, uh, that bothered me. You know what I mean? Tell them skinny bitches that mm-hmm. I'm just kidding you. I know y'all think you're fat. I'm like, yeah, you really could have said all this in another way. My type is better than yours because that's the same treatment you're getting. And now you're trying to do it to somebody else. I mean, you know. most of us are not runway models. That's such a small segment of the human population. And mm. do we just want to see stories about, you know, a tiny fraction of humanity? Okay. No, there's room for all of us because most of us are not certain things that Hollywood thinks it's looking for. Mm. And I've also heard, um, just the sort of the idea that if, you know, an alien came down from space and they were to consume, you know, top programs and movies within just the Hollywood media, let alone others, but we'll stick with Hollywood, that they would have a really altered view of what the world is. Obviously, they think that most of the population is young and white and very skinny so and cult. fit and attractive. You wouldn't see old people, especially older women. You'd think the first time you saw an older woman, you'd go, who is that creature? Because you never <laughs> really see women of a certain age in films anymore. And it's, it's frustrating. They're always the mother. They're always a secretary. They're behind a desk. They're not active. Like, I love when I can see a woman in her 50s holding a gun. Oh, yeah. You know, Get or chasing a bad guy. Like, because- yeah, Helen Mirren in Reds is, in the first Reds, oh. is like my, is my idol. So, Same. Tope, you came out, uh, I assume, from your university to Los Angeles. So what did you do once you got here with as the Bitch Pack? What have you done since then besides just working in your classes at school? What have you done since you've come out here? Um, well, I started um, working as a TV writer's assistant for a bit. And then I was really lucky to team up with 77 Films. And uh, Can you say which writer or would you rather not? Oh, no, no. Um, I would love to, actually. It was a Bruckheimer television show that um, I wish had made it further. But um, I I love my old boss, Evan Charnoff and uh, Vincent Ngo, too. They are awesome guys who are super allies. So I, yeah, Evan uh, is one of those rare bosses who you know, actually asked my opinion and, you know, we didn't have to go through the normal uh, office protocol and hierarchy and stuff. So it was, and does he like support your work now? Like what you do? That's so wonderful. We talk and yeah, very fortunate. 
And so with 77 films, what uh, what have you been doing? Do you have sort of films you've been putting together? You've also been keeping up with sort of the screenplays that come out and looking at the list and sort of uh, keeping up to date with like, oh, which ones, especially ones that might be into, um, not production, but ones that come out and say, oh, this one has some Bechdel potential and that kind of stuff. So just sort of currently, where are you with your with the 77 films? Yeah, definitely always paying attention to that. And, um, you know, right now, 77 has a great, uh, slate coming up um you know we're all ideologically on the same page um which is great trying to push diverse Bechdel test passing projects out there um you know adhering to equal pay um and just looking for opportunities to give others uh, more of a chance you know we're trying to find right now uh, a brand or brand that would like to sponsor uh, short film projects for uh, women of color that we can help produce. And um, right now, um, Jay Thames, he's working with other production companies on some big badass stuff. So I'm really excited to be part of that and give my input and hopefully we'll have more news on all that soon. That's really awesome. Now I did have a little question uh, as far as the Bechtel test goes. And of course, if you're listening to us, then you probably know what the Bechtel test is because our, our target audience, like we, 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 we put everything we review to the test, you know, which is just such a great basic litmus test or place to start. But do you, which, what would you say would be a good variation on that for underrepresented minorities? Uh, there definitely have been um, other tests, the uh, DuVernay test, which is named after director Ava DuVernay is great where a person of color does not exist in a film to serve merely as scenery for a white main character. So um, I've been really paying attention to that and in my own work too, um, ideally getting projects that pass both the Bechdel and the DuVernay test. I often think about that sort of uh, sassy gay best friend stereotype. I I wonder if there's sort of a similar thing for an LGBT character who doesn't exist simply to give the heroine in the rom-com her her fashion advice or sort of just to be there again as other diverse characters tend to get shunted in in, in mainstream movies as, you know, they don't seem to exist outside of the the white or the straight protagonist. And often, of course, uh, from the Bechdel test, let's be honest, the manly man protagonist. So. Right. Yeah. I don't know um, of what uh, other tests might be called. I'm going to have to look that up and get more educated on that. So I think one thing that's really, even though we're a little bit late on that, but like month wise is that a lot of this I think has come to a head on the last couple of years and rightfully so uh, with April rains um, hashtag on Twitter for Oscars. So white considering the last two years, none of the actors in the in the acting categories were were people of color is pretty much like like a lizard of 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 just um, caucasian actors lately and 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 i do see the point where the academy is is trying to change its voting rules and that there is the point also that you know if the films don't get made there aren't the parts but what is your take on the on the oscar so white um issue and how to you know deal with that and how as as a as a woman and director of color how you would also want to go about it implementing change and fixing that. Right. I think uh, it's particularly sad that in this past week, Ghost in the Shell has been, I mean, it's great that it's being discussed, but that so soon after the Oscars, here's yet another example of whitewashing. And it's all over Twitter. It's all over the news and how the producers went through a visual effects test to try to see if they could make Scarlett Johansson, quote unquote, more Asian looking 
So, you know, we have that and we have the iron fist situation going on too. So again, it's just like, it seems like Hollywood is, isn't learning their lesson. Um, it doesn't make any financial sense to, to upset so much of the audience who would have wanted to go see this. And I, you know, I was worried about that project for a while, even before they released the first picture of Scarlett Johansson, who sure she's great in other projects, but for this one, I mean, again, it's going to be ghost in the shell. So white interesting too because like you mentioned iron fist which is basically the fourth part along with jessica jones and luke cage and uh, daredevil to the defenders that marvel's been working on with netflix and there was such a hope that the character's always been um, caucasian in comics but this time they'd also allow to have uh, an asian american or um, hero within that within that mythology and also you're looking at marvel who's um making that same mistake on the big screen because it's sort of been a terrible week when it isn't it but even more so than usual for whitewashing between ghost in the shell and the release of the dr strange trailer in which uh, tilda swinton is playing an asian character uh, yeah and i had read about um the abfab movie too where oh white i know <laughs> april's having a moment but uh yeah i read something about that too where um, a caucasian actor was portraying an asian character if i read it correctly jennifer saunders i love you why do you do this to me i know so i mean it just seems so odd that it's like hollywood amnesia is what i'm gonna call it people still don't seem to have learned anything from you know gods of egypt and again even when things bomb you know there's a whole uh not your tiger lily situation and that movie didn't do so well so it's not like the numbers aren't showing that this is not translating well. And of course, Aloha, that just did not prove itself at the box office with that whole controversy. So. I just don't understand that that somebody along the way didn't say, do we really want to do this? Like there, there had to have been oh, just somebody who said no. Just taking a break and letting you know that you can find out more about the Bitch Pack at bitchpack.com and on Twitter at biatchpack. That's B-I-A-T-C-H-P-A-C-K. As for us, you can always find us at legendarywomen.org, medium.com slash legendary-women, and be sure to look us up on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. On our little break, we were talking about people who uh, make mistakes, and instead of just saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it that way, I was wrong, I will try to do better, people just dig in and try to make themselves right, like, for instance, a good response would be uh, Jane the Virgin. Uh, Gina. Gina Rodriguez, yes. Keep wanting to call her Jane Rodriguez. Her response when she was saying she wasn't a feminist and somebody sort of said, well, don't you believe in equal rights? And she said, my mistake. I guess, I suppose I am a feminist. You know, and she was very gracious about saying, you know what, I was probably wrong about that. But then let's say when uh, Cheryl Teagues went on and on about uh, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Uh, Ashley Graham, that whole debacle. All she had to do is say, you know what? I shouldn't have tried to judge somebody's level of health just by looking at them. I was wrong. Instead, she goes on talk shows and programs, digging in harder and trying to make herself right. And you just don't learn anything that way. Like if you just say, this is the way it is and I won't hear another point of view. It's just really, really hard to talk to my family members about, let's say, diversity and feminism, because I feel like they get so angry when somebody implies that there is privilege inherent in where they are, you know, let's say because they're blue collar, they believe 
hey, my life was hard. So there's no such thing as white privilege. Well, you know, your life could have been a lot harder. You can't say that you could grow up in in a nice row home, maybe a poor area, but a nice, safe, poor area. And that it's no different than a tenement that has lots of crime and a lack of opportunities and safety for a young kid. Yeah, we got a lot of that after the Oscars too, or during with Michael Caine saying, you know, I had to wait a really long time as a white man. So, <laughs> Which I understand that obviously Hollywood as an entity only has so many parts, but imagine instead of a trickle, you've basically got nothing coming out except a drop every once several years. I mean, I'm, I'm reading an article from Mashables up sort of on my screen and it says, you know, the last or only Asian American or Asian actress to have won an Oscar was in 1958 for Sayonara with Miyoshi Umeki. And then the first Latina actress at all to be nominated for best actress was Fernanda Montenegro. I mean, it's just been, there's a difference between, Oh, there's not a lot of roles and Oh, we're talking decades upon decades of just not recognizing or not there. Mm, That's why it's more um, adding insult to entry when a character has an, you know, explicitly Asian name and to cast, a white performer because then you know everyone covers up by saying yes it's a conversation we should be having but is anyone really going to talk about it like april was saying any of the casting agents any of the reps no and the producers no one thought that that was strange then afterwards you know then everyone else in the viewership or possible audience is going yes that actually is really strange how come everyone who makes these things is so isolated that they wouldn't think it twice about whitewashing. And I feel like, you know, a friend of mine pointed out the other day when we were talking about Ghost in the Shell, that with Mickey Rooney, you had to have terrible makeup in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and that was yellow face. And now if you're just doing it with CGI 50 years later, it's still horribly offensive and just as wrong. And why are we going back to the same thing just with a computer that we were doing wrong 50 years ago? And the worst thing is that I I could see in the 50s or 60s that people might have been a little bit more ignorant of this kind of thing. I just can't see it now. I, I just can't believe that along the way, somebody didn't say, now, won't we get a lot of backlash for basically uh, Asian face, you know, mm-hmm. on this? And someone said, no, no, don't worry about it. I don't know who that person was that said, no, yeah. this will be cool. Don't who worry. in that room that wasn't an Asian person or for, you know, Nina Simone? It's like, do they not have consultants of whatever character for uh you know these projects it's like i read about a project about the pirate i think her name is xing shi the asian female pirate and everyone involved in that was a white man so wouldn't they hire an asian woman to consult or something like that or for the nina simone biopic like wouldn't they have other opinions in the room who could have easily pointed things out that landslides of people on Twitter are now pointing out, then they have to go back and do tons of damage control. And then, yeah, I mean, you pretty much guarantee that these people will keep talking on Twitter. It's not even smart from a business standpoint. No, absolutely You would think so. Of course, they say that 100% of the studio heads themselves are white and I think 92% are male. But again, the business thing, and I was talking again with a friend about this, the same thing. It's just, it's gotten to be a pattern in the last four or five years, the Lone Ranger, massive flop. And you're talking about Aloha with half Asian Emma Stone. I mean, these movies keep doing the whitewashing, not just Gods of Egypt, but Exodus, Gods and Kings. They keep going to that well. And then they get these horrible backlashes, which are well-deserved. And then they flop (laughs) and you think they can't see the pattern of these flops is, hey, we kept 
whitewashing characters and ca- oh, avatars uh, adaptation the last airbender we keep doing this and we don't make any money you would think that the bottom line would at least make an impact at some point right don't they read anything online or on social media it's like where are they looking to not see this it's like ostriches with their heads buried in the sand going how are they missing this or why are they not putting a stop to it for their own goods and for their own brands and reputations and especially their own legacy of which side of history do they want to be on which is a great point i mean even even if the bottom line is apparently not hurting you quite enough yet you don't want people to look back at you guys now with some sort of cgi mechanism to enhance i assume scarlett johansson's eyes or lord knows what and then go ooh, in 50 years people see you the same way they just can't get through breakfast at tiffany's and for good reason or it's or people look back at different westerns um, my mom's been on a kick re-watching like westerns on like stars and stuff and you just look at other people who were quote native american when it's just caucasian actors who are given some brown paint or some tanning and you're just like you don't want to be there. You no. you look ridiculous and obstructionist. But I often I wonder, like, how much, or even if, maybe Tope, you notice too, or you know more, but it feels like sometimes Hollywood and studio heads have selective, maybe levels of tolerance for the amount of money they're willing to lose. Like, I feel like <laughs> this repeated whitewashing is like, this is losing you money, but you ignore it. Just like female leads like or women leads like uh you know in the hunger games and in frozen are making you lots of money for yoso ray this year but you keep want wanting to make these films but they still make the same kind of mistakes like let's just do like a 10th die hard or let's just keep rebooting spider-man so i don't understand where they will really make some mistakes but they're like no can't do this ever again electro was bad kind of thing and the thing is, you can see it like sort of in progress. I, I write for this uh, magazine, just to freelance, and they tell me what to cover. And it's kind of puff PC. It's really hard to find anything in for January and February. So I had to cover the fifth wave and gods of Egypt. Oh, boy. There's no panels. <laughs> there were no interviews. There uh-huh. was no press. I had to basically mine sources. Well, it's like a kind of a coming soon feature. Right. right. Even in Los Angeles for the billboards for Gods of Egypt, they didn't use the white actors' faces. They had like the mechanized birds or just they know, other things. They knew it was going to turn out horribly. And even with their $200 million marketing budgets, they're trying to brush the whitewashing under the rug. It's just like, couldn't you save yourself a lot of time and trouble? Yeah, not do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I understand in you know the olden days, in the 50s and 60s before the internet, and people being discovered at the ice cream parlor or whatever, you know, there are only a select number of um, actors you normally went to and it was hard to cast. But nowadays with social media, with the internet, with all kinds of performers putting themselves out there, there really aren't any excuses um, to say we can't find A, B, C, or D, which you still keep hearing. Yes, I'm sure it's, I mean, and it's not like, there aren't actors who come from other countries and work to cross over. It's not like, even if you're like, we can't find any Americans who are of Asian descent we want to cast, which I'm side-eyeing you really hard, Hollywood. There aren't <laughs> studios across a lot of other countries. They're like, oh, we make movies. Here's someone who might want to cross over to Hollywood. Why don't you call them up? It's just, it doesn't, it, not to be a, a pun, it doesn't wash. Mm-hmm. But, but then another question I wanted to ask is, um, I also feel like there's this attitude because I feel like, even though the hashtag really put the detention on it and even John Oliver was talking about it, it was all over the news the week up to it. 
exactly that the scene uh, that the the actual ceremony was questionable in a lot of ways like oh we're gonna invite just the writers from out straight out of compton or oh see we're better because chris rock's hosting but it's sort of like more inclusive but it's not because nobody's really nominated and i feel like that with the academy there's this attitude that sort of permeates it where going back to april saying you're sorry but you're not really sorry or you're sorry but you're really just sorry you got caught because everybody's pointing it out to john oliver and the news networks but then they go and do things where they exclude the cast from straight out compton from coming and this year, you know, they knew in 2015 they had a problem. They didn't nominate anybody. But even the Price Waterhouse joke where they brought on the, the three young Asian children and pretended those were, quote, the accountants. And it was just this draw, jaw-dropping moment when we're trying to understand and try and look at diversity problems in the academy. And they're making fun of an entire ethnic, many countries worth of ethnic groups. Oh, yeah, that's it's, another it's problem. That's another mm-hmm. problem is that what they consider uh, positive racism you know, the, uh, or benign race, the, uh, Asians are good at math, you know, uh, it's, uh, it, I don't, I don't know, like, like black people are tough and strong, you know, anybody can be good at, can be good at math, you know, or not, you know, or, or horrible at it. Right. Imagine being, uh, SD Kung, the, the young Asian girl on stage there, not just getting insulted like that, but now she has to grow up seeing, ghost in the shell you know being played by a white woman it's just layer upon layer of beyond microaggressions and that definitely adds up over a lifetime of saying you know society uh, the biggest stage on earth saying oh you don't matter and the funny thing is uh, around when avatar the last airbender happened there was such such a big kick up you know like so much dust was kicked up on this and so many people came out and said i'm not okay with this and social media was just getting really big mm-hmm. you know among your average everyday person around then so i would think after that happened i was like you know what in a way i'm like well i'm so glad that happened because now this won't happen again and gosh was i wrong so <laughs> yeah so many times over i just can't believe it It seems like every time you turn around like what next that's my biggest fear i'm like ghost in the shell what next and that's an awful feeling. And it's not the first time because my brother is a is a huge anime fan, always has been. So God bless him. He um, was very much a fan of Dragon Ball Z. I don't see the appeal in that one, but he loved it. And oh boy, that was another one where it's, you know, all uh, white actors in roles that were originated in a Japanese anime. And you're just going, why was this necessary? Yeah, and some movies can get it kind of right. Let's say, uh, what, uh, what's um, oh, I'm Big Hero edit my Six, Big Hero Six, and that actually did they they managed to have a very diverse cast that reflected what was in the comics, and it was wonderful, and everybody enjoyed it. I mean, some people wanted it to be a little darker and less kid friendly. I personally preferred the Baymax of the movie to the Baymax of the comics, and it was great. It did well. It was critically acclaimed. It was audience acclaimed. It made some money. Like, it's not that hard. It really isn't. It just seems so simple. We want to give you our money. <laughs> and I think that's a good point, um, Tope, is that there are groups that are untapped. Um, I was in a past life a, a Spanish interpreter, and, um, you know, the Latino audience, they see more movies than any other ethnic group in the United States. And, it, you know, there are people out here who'd be like, here's money. I will give it to you. Or you see the success of films especially as it evolved the Fast and Furious movies where they had, and I think Michelle Rodriguez was very open about saying this, you know, there's someone in there who's 
someone who looks like a lot of people in, in, in the United States right now. There's a, there are Latino characters and there are African-American characters and there are people of different, you know, backgrounds all over. And that's something that has appealed to lots of people. So they gave it lots of money and now there's an eighth one. Definitely. It's a very easy formula. Hollywood is stuck in so many other formulas, which repeatedly prove themselves to benefit no one. And so when there is a formula that benefits so many, you would think that they would keep going with that instead of 10 examples of whitewashing instead of, you know, and the same thing under a rock in a cave. Still. Yeah. The force awakens. Like it's got, a, uh, even though Poe Dameron's not written as like Hispanic per se, cause they're in space, but it's, you know, you have a Hispanic actor and a black actor and, you know, a white lead actress. And it sort of has become so popular and the new cast within it has been so beloved. And you would think people go force awakens that made tons of money, you know, fast and furious. This made tons of money. Let's just be more inclusive and see if we can take everybody's money. You know, we don't need to have people mad at us for stupid decisions that don't make any sense. Yeah, and that was the hardest thing on a personal level because I'm talking to two different uh, male relatives. Uh, I will not name them. They're not going to hear this anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to tell them about it. Um, and uh, I had to argue with the both of them that uh, they both said that the casting of a woman and a black man was Hollywood trying to be PC. You know? I'm like... No. That's not really, they both did an awesome job. The roles weren't, were written colorblind. They casted colorblind. Um, I personally, the only real complaint I have about Finn is that his British accent would have been hotter. <laughs> uh, I don't know why you're putting on an American accent. We sound like bums. Everybody but... <laughs> else in space is randomly British, like Princess Leia in the first movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, because she grew out of it somehow. I guess she moved to space, California and lost the accent. But I think that's something that I just find so interesting. And you, maybe you can comment on it too, Tope. I had read an article maybe a year or two ago with, you know, Spielberg saying that the future of Hollywood is just really in flux now. They can't make money on the DVD in because people don't buy, you know, discs anymore. They're trying to market in a way that's more broad appeal so they can do a lot of their money overseas now. And obviously the franchises really is what, helps bring in at least their bankable money. But I think it's also at a stage where they used to think that if you had a name, the name could open a franchise. And I think that's really, or a movie, but I think that's really changing, but they don't know. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like they don't know where they're going yet. And I feel like if they just learn to embrace more people who would give them more money, maybe that would be part of their next step. So, right. And I think maybe bring in more consultants from all kinds of different groups to tell them. I think that the mentality of so-and-so knows best, who is always known best, that just perpetuates so many Hollywood myths, um, such as what doesn't sell, who watches what, when you can go on Twitter and see that, well, gosh, white men actually do want to watch people of color, women of color, women, you know, and they're telling you directly and that whole uh, trying to be broad, but, and, um, you know, just having white performers try to carry things internationally. That's totally been debunked as well. I mean, George Clooney can't even open a movie anymore. So I personally, as you know, a, an American viewer, an international viewer, I'd want to see fresh faces. I would prefer that um, and just more integration. And there's always room for everyone. So if everyone spoke more to each other and shared ideas instead of still, um, I think production arms are segregated. You know, people stick together to make this kind of project or that kind of project. So if they brought more, you know, of all kinds of people together to discuss um, what everyone would like to see, 
I think we would have more positive outcomes than, you know, these people go make that kind of movie. These people go make that kind of movie and keep it separate. It's just kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, I think that's a good point that they're not communicating again, because it's such a homogenous uh, a group of individuals. And I think you've seen that in publishing too, because a lot of the people who work mm-hmm. in publishing are uh, Caucasian women who are in their thirties. And that's at least you see more in some areas, especially in YA fiction, young adult fiction, women protagonists or young girl protagonists. And they have that movement that we need diverse books, because again, when you don't have those voices behind the scenes and saying, Hey, wait a minute, then you don't have the input saying, well, we would like to see this too. We're, we're right here. Right. Absolutely. I think that is um, a sad reflection of a lot of real life where can't really, uh, don't quote me, but something like uh, most white Americans have over 75% white friends or something like that. So just in real life, and when you do see a movie by a white woman and it's just like all of her friends are five white women too, you start to go, well, I know um, for me, I, you know, I have all kinds of color friends on a daily basis. And I would like to show that in film more because when I do flip around or do when I do see what is coming out theaters, it is people who living in a world that's not mine. Yeah. I mean, I've got a bubble too. All of my friends are gay men (laughs) and including my roommate and Uh, including my, I guess I'd call him my BFF in a lot of ways because he's the male version of me and uh, (laughs) my friend, Bobby. Hi, Bobby. I don't know if you're listening to this, but hello. Hi, Bobby. Hi. No, I'd love to see that world too. Yeah, I think it's just the the repeated th- uh, projects that are so similar. You know, I think that definitely. When I was a little kid, though, like let's say uh, I'm, I'm told that uh, it's bad to be gay. You know, so you shouldn't be friends with gay people. Oh, that's awful. And then you grow up, and and hopefully you grow up to realize that anybody can be in your circle. Yes. You know, anybody that you want or that you have a compatible personality with. Yeah, if that's all you see is white people being friends with white people, Mm -hmm. you know, women are only friends with women. Women and men can't be friends, obviously. Uh, Even worse, the rom-com trope where she has that one friend who's scheming to get the man instead in the third act. Oh, Oh, no. I almost feel like the whole world has turned into, like, Friends circa 1992, but, like, that world doesn't exist anymore where it's, like six attractive young thin white people living in some nondescript urban loft that they couldn't afford anyway but I feel like a lot of the movies that come out now and a lot of the tv shows just reflect that same and I thought if you got more networks it would change that but it almost feels like they siphon off like there is no TGIF where you get to watch hanging with Mr. Cooper or something Mm -hmm. and like Family Matters now get siphoned off to networks people can like just sort of put over there where they keep on the main ABC NBC not Fox as much lately, but here are some white people. And it's just, it's frustrating. You thought things would get more diverse. Here's the thing though. The networks aren't even the main places anymore. I was, uh, a lot of things are getting a lot better with, so it's like one thing just to, I try to be optimist most of the time, you know, <laughs> uh, there are things that are better. There's so much more creator controlled content out there who I subscribe to on YouTube that I'm as excited as if a new episode of something like it's Tuesday. Why hasn't he posted something? What's going on with this? You know what I mean? Because I really want to watch, let's say, the rap critic talk about, like, Kendrick Lamar and uh, things like, like, anything he likes and also rap he doesn't like because it's hilarious. Or I like uh, I. Ross, who does uh, Christian movies, mostly. Uh, he does, and, and Pokemon. I don't watch Pokemon, so, but I, I do love watching somebody, you know, take the mickey out of, uh, out of a, a, a 
let's say War Room, which Cinema Snob does a great thing uh, on that too, by the way. Um, so there's a lot of diverse creators out there who I watch all the time. One of the biggest YouTubers is uh, Markiplier, who's Asian. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd love to see Hollywood he makes take those people. thousand dollars a month. Wow. Yeah. See. I- so traditional film people, did you hear that? Because we'd love to see more people like that who are infinitely more diverse because in the digital world, it's serving everyone's so, audiences, brands so much better. And it would be great to have people like that even more mainstream and more accessible to everyone. And I feel like that's part of it too. And I think April, that's a, that is a good point. And both of you, um, just the availability of the digital media and seeing people through that, I think because especially the younger and younger generations, I mean, I'm like a millennial, but I guess whoever's below us, which I think is like Z or something, but they're mm-hmm. so used to instant contact with everybody around the world and people of different, um, you know, persuasions, whether it's gender identity or, you know, a type of, you know, um, identification with uh, whom uh, they're romantically interested in or uh, race or country of origin. I mean, I have friends all the way from Bulgaria to like Australia. And it's just, I feel like through mediums like YouTube or even Instagram or Vine, people are breaking down. And before that with you and me and April is like live journal, but like are breaking down those barriers and they're living in a world that is so much more heterogeneous and immediate than anything was before. And I think Hollywood's like a dinosaur and it's stuck in something that doesn't exist anymore. Maybe at best from the eighties. 100%. And I think that there needs to be integration with all those worlds, like all these young people and everyone in between. And then we have these decision makers in Hollywood who are, you know, over 60 and, you know, predominantly white men or whatever the makeup of the academy or the executives are in these big companies. And they, if they can't figure out how to talk to people, then they should have assistants or a staff who knows how to figure this stuff out. Oh. And to be fair to the staff, I feel like, and I, and I don't know this, maybe you've worked with teams before you were mentioning, but I feel like sometimes you're scared to say anything because here's your boss, right. they're this big producer studio head and you're the assistant or the new guy or the whatever. And maybe even if there is diversity at the lower levels, there's not the freedom to like talk up channel. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And no, mm-hmm. um, that's why I think there needs me, you know, more open dialogue that way. And there's so many different ways to get this information or to listen to all kinds of different people to be open-minded. And it's funny. Yeah. I mean, because otherwise you sort of run the risk of a lot of these producers probably have the problem of, I guess they call it George Lucasing, you know, at some point you think you're right because you've, let's say, created something that a lot of people like. So you think everything you create must be amazing. And a lot of people around you aren't there to tell you no. Right. They said that about Adam Sandler too in The Ridiculous Six. Like people were, you know, some. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. Yes, people. And no one just pointed out that that maybe this is just plain awful. I get so a lot sad because he used to be good. Which, by the way, yeah, it was a huge hit on Netflix. It's one of their most watched movies of all time. So that was I heard that. depressing. Yeah. Just to see how bad it is, I think, is why a lot of people do it, because <laughs> they had heard how just horrendous, and yeah, I guess bad press was good press for them in he this was, case, too. He was in a, a position at one point where I think he had a lot of artistic cred, yeah. and things were go- could have started going in another direction, and then he just decided to devolve. You know, and and it makes me so sad. It's like it's there's no effort into it. 
I like know? him. Rush, but, uh, yeah, 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 it doesn't mean that anyone's a bad person, but you know, just perhaps there could be more open discussions about things and what you mean to leave behind, what you mean to put into society and to entertain people. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, Tote, because it was publications and the, the criticisms were so intense because they were having the, the Native American actors walk off set and mm-hmm. there was, you know, jokes about the Native American names like Beaver Breath and it was just stuff that A, was offensive and B, it's almost like stuff that was humorous maybe 25, 30 years ago when you could still get away with to some extent being a j- jackass and I guess since it made money, it doesn't matter but like, just things that people said this hurts us and they were like, no, it doesn't move on. And they decide for you, that's a terrible thing too again, that whole getting back to the mentality of, you know, only certain people know best. That's not true because there is a majority out there that is going to be growing uh, more so who are on social media, you know, saying the opposite. So, you know, people in control are actually the minority. So I just had a couple more questions on the lot. One thing that I'd I'd love to uh, ask and just sort of say, if, if you had a chance to sit down with someone, you know, from Marvel who was doing, Doctor Strange and the things with um, Iron Fist, or you had a chance to talk to people who have been running Ghost in the Shell, what would you, what would you say to them, Tope? I would say that they should utilize film inclusion behind the scenes because I think every element of a project translates somehow. You know, um, everyone on your crew, what they think and what they touch and feel comes out in the final product, you know in minute ways. So the more inclusive you can be, the more attractive your project will be to a larger audience. Just basically like that. And speaking of like Oscar worthy films and the Oscar debacle, overall the films you watched in 2015, what was your favorite? Oh wow. This is what almost middle of 2016 yeah. I'm trying to get I know, right? It's lined up <laughs> exactly. Um because I did just start watching some of the Oscars movies uh, <laughs> recently this past week um that's a tough one margaret can i hand it over to april while i think about it some more yeah, oh yeah well, gush. i've got my i do have a i'm a gusher i can't help it uh, but i there's there were a lot of things i liked uh and there were others that i was expecting to like and wasn't quite like nothing against carol but it was just a snoozy movie uh, the energy was just so low. I'm not saying it was by any means a bad movie, but I guess uh, when I went into what I expected to be more emotionally affected, then I watched Beasts of No Nation, which destroyed me and stomped on Same me. Same here. That one, wow. Oh. I agree. It just, it murdered me. And Straight out of Compton, which I liked and hated all at once. I feel like uh, there were people who should have had just even cameos or mentions, a name drop uh, that were women. Instead, every woman was either a topless prop. God, there's a very heartless by Felicia moment in there. They're either a topless prop, a screaming Harrod and Shrew, uh, or a girlfriend who's supportive of everything you do and therefore good. And uh the, the but the problem is if they wanted to include other women they worked with on a professional level uh, with NWA, um, then the problem would have been they would have had to address Dre beating up these women. And I guess you don't want to make a film where Dre's not the good. Like they, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but Dre does put himself out as being a much gentler person than he was. And I really wish that Eazy-E had been alive to tell the story because I feel like even though Eazy-E was a little bit 
You could argue that Easy E looked out more for himself from a money perspective than for his mates. He was uh, very good with fostering talent, very against hitting women. You know, JJ Fad, uh, Terry B, uh, D Bart, like a lot of people have really good things to say about Easy E and how he treated them. And the problem is he's not alive to tell that tale. So that's kind of a shame. Instead, it was just, we've got three heroes and two villains, you know, like Suge Knight and Jerry Heller are villains and Cube, Dre and E are heroes. But at some point, E's kind of a villain, uh, not a villain. He's a, uh, he's a hoodwinked poor guy. And I think he was probably a lot smarter than they're making him look in this movie. Yeah. If Easy E had been alive, JJ Fad, Terry B and D Barnes probably would have got a mention or a cameo or just even a walk on. Yeah, it matters so much who's behind the scenes and who's giving the input, you know, because, yeah, eventually it does show and people do notice. Um, I, I think that filmmakers should know that audiences deserve a lot more credit nowadays. People mm-hmm. are, are so observant. Yeah, everyone's like, well, where's this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to give big props to the guy who played Snoop. He sounded a lot like him. It was just amazing. Keith Stansfield. Yes. Yes. No, I didn't write that down. I'm so horrible. What else? Uh, I think Idris Elba should have been nominated for Beast, but I, and, uh, and the I guess. Boy, the, the child actor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But see, but the thing is they have a problem nominating children. I've noticed this. It's very rare that they get nominated. Like, uh, like Tremblay, they submitted him for, for supporting. It should have been for best actor, actually. You know, they, they have a, I, I would say that there is a problem. There's a lot of children who do a great job and they very rarely get recognized for it. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a some ageism in Hollywood in the other direction too. <laughs> Obviously Beast of No Nation was so good, but uh, Elba, I guess the reason I, I uh, really wish he'd gotten nominated for supporting is because I have an insane crush on him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he made it so I have a hard time thinking of him as attractive it's going to be a while okay. before I can See? be attracted to him. So good job, Idris Elba, <laughs> for turning me off so thoroughly. That means you're an amazing actor. If you mm-hmm. can turn that off. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly, I'm still ready for him to be Bond. Yeah, I, I would love that so much. I, I, I could not imagine how amazing that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best part is that uh, the theory is that Bond is not a person. It's a code name. That yeah, it's just a designation. Yeah, it could be anyone. Yes. Absolutely. All other uh, names. Yeah, uh, Room was the other movie that uh, I was that uh, that I was like uh, big up on as far as watching. I read the book, so I had to I had to see it. So I do think everything it got nominated for was deserved. But uh, I got to be honest i I didn't think Carol was as good as people were making it out to be. I still need to see it. But, um, I do know what I'm looking forward to. That's easier for me to go. I really, really need to see Birth of a Nation. I really need to see Loving. So you know, stuff that's upcoming stays in my <laughs> after Oscar that makes season. Sense. <laughs> I think my mind gets wiped um, of even the great stuff. Ooh. Short attention span theater. Um, exactly. I have to say that uh, what I liked from the Oscars was I really enjoyed Creed. I'm like not a massive Rocky fan. I've seen the original and I've seen four because it's super American and really cheesy. Like he goes and fights the Russian and like goes to the mountains and has like a log or something. It's awesome. But uh, it's really good. And I feel like it, it, it just that so much of it depends on like Michael B. Jordan's portrayal and how he goes through his evolution into self-acceptance as well as Kugler's direction and writing. And I, I feel like they really, really should have been nominated because they really, Stallone's great, but like 
the caring in the film goes to like this great script and direction and and Michael B. Jordan's really the character you follow. I mean, Adonis is the guy and it's just, it's a shame that he's like, you know, the, the whole anchor. It's just so odd too. It just feels like overt exclusion. It, It really does. And I also, I do feel like Spotlight to me mattered a lot because I feel like not just because it's a scandal. I mean, we, we, I never knew the depth, I think, of, of some of the problems within the Catholic Church till then and the hierarchy. I mean, not the, the parishioners within it. But I think it's, it's nice once in a while to like go, hey, there's a reason newspapers exist. There's a reason we have in-depth journalism. There's a reason people are paid to really look at these details that could take months or even years to break because people need to remember how crucial the fourth estate and an honest fourth estate is is to running a country or to keeping big institutions honest in a, in a global level with the Catholic church. And I think that's something that people forget, especially as newspapers tend to um, um, fade. And I appreciate that what could have been very mawkish or very much a lifetime movie with such theme matter was very well balanced. So nobody I feel like was a villain and nobody was, was the national, was the all out good guy. I feel like everybody in Boston as they, as they uncovered the scandal had to deal with who had responsibility for for these actions and who should have spoken up and they all had sort of a level of of complicity and reckoning in that and so i think that's always good when you have a movie that has that kind of nuance within it um this summer and further on i'm not keeping track of all the oscar type stuff or all the the award or indie stuff yet i I have to admit that right now i'm only thinking of civil war (laughs) like i'm I'm super excited for more marvel i'm just just gonna be honest because i saw batman versus superman it was not is fun mm. um, so i think people are taking a giant crap on it and they're being a little too tough on it i mean come on is it as bad as superman 3 4 or returns it's not you know i feel like they use some exploitative so 9 11 imagery i'm just i'm just saying uh, i feel like they they manipulate people a little bit emotionally it's not inappropriate it isn't it isn't though i don't i don't know I, I i haven't seen it yet so i probably can't speak to that but i know that it's I know it's bad, but I feel like 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Can't just get a 55 or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Have it. you seen it, Tope? No, I have not. I've stayed away. Don't listen to her. Mm-hmm. Avoid it. It's it's not good. I mean, it was nice you to see one of I have to see it in the but... theater. She, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out right now on this podcast right live, Margaret. You told me, see it in the theater. Don't wait for DVD. I do, because Wonder Woman is really good in it, and you want to see her kick butt on big screen. Not that the movie overall is a good movie, but Wonder Woman's great. Well, Mariko really told funny. me that it was it was not that bad, and she gave it like a C. <laughs> it's a C movie. It's good to go. All right. So the one last thing I had for you, Topin, if um, April has anything too, she can interject. But um, if you had any budget and any approval, what's the dream project you would like to make? Um, for me personally, my passion project still is the Lucy Parsons story because she is a Latina, Native American, African-American woman who fought for our labor rights. And I think she's an extremely important figure in history. And the story is so applicable to the now with how our economy and our nation is. It's a great ensemble. So that will always stay in my heart until I get it made. And it's not that much, everybody. 20 million. I think we can suffice. Are you going to kickstart this? Oh, okay. If only, if only we get those large amounts. But. I think uh, El Gigante was a film I saw. At she was in Etheria too, Margaret. Isn't that crazy? What a small I world. I was there, yeah. I'm one of the judges. I'm going to judge again this year. So oh, I'm that's amazing. Judge. I love those two women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, uh, El Gigante, I think, did Kickstarter for 80K. Uh, there was a few, quite a few movies. There. But the ones that stuck with me the most when I walked away um, were Slut, uh, um, 
uh, De Noche de Pronto and uh, of Chevenge, just because mm-hmm. I like funny. And yeah, also, De Noche was just a beautiful, gorgeous. I could look. I actually went home and they had it on Vimeo too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, when I was thinking of subtitles, but since I already saw it, I was like, all right, I'm going to see if I can improve my Spanish now. Um, and uh, I watched it again, like twice. <laughs> El Gigante did successful kickstart for 80k so if you could find a bunch of people willing to volunteer their it's time a start then... <laughs> it's a start right i'm saying you make you know one whitewash bomb for 10 times that much for over 200 million and you might as well just give me 20 and i'll show you what i can do with a great i promise you none of this will make you feel uh, more insecure but i would rather give you a lot of money to make something that sounds that amazing than be like gods of egypt why right. done <laughs> yeah i think too just yeah, breaking down those budgets too you can get so many different more diverse stories you know with more inclusive crews and casts that more people would just simply enjoy and would stand the test of time and just show what we all together are capable of it's wait of- so you're saying giant like weird greek no sorry <laughs> egyptian monster things in the middle of the desert are not going to stand the test of time <laughs> mm, not especially the way that they've been done and they knew it was going to be horrible and they still did it like yeah that's wh- the thing that's the odd thing that right now too just with the next whitewash project everyone is saying and pointing out and all the news outlets and all the tweeters but they're just going to go ahead and do it and lose money just like all the other projects they knew or should have known they're not stopping the production but you know like television yeah. wise, a lot of great stuff. The production just stops because of this or that. But when you have the populace telling you, we're not going to give you our money, but you continue. I mean, I just don't know how logical that is. Yeah, you know, uh, I feel like, again, that they're just not, your ostrich metaphor feels really applicable or almost like a bull just charging into things because it can. Yeah. And doesn't help anyone, just hurts people like, and it hurts people more so than they know. That's just the awful part of it. Mm. Well, I don't know. I watched this show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which a horrible oh, title. Um, yeah. It took me a while awesome? to get into it, but now I realize that it really is It really subverts all the tropes. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And it's got a very diverse cast and a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's absolutely amazing, you know? So it's just... It's nice to see that this kind of thing can be out there. It can be critically acclaimed. Uh, it's not a huge hit yet, but that's just because, well, the title and it's a musical. It's a hard sell for most of the world. Also, it's on the CW, so that's is hard it's a hard road to hell guys oh they're doing better it i i actually have a lot of approval for all their creative direction in the last two years rachel got the golden globe though right yes it got a second award too i mean it's very well she's been awarded at least two things just this year for the for her work on that it doesn't help they had a lean brush mckenna too Mm -hmm. uh writing for it from devil worth prada and then um it's there there are good things out there there are good things happening on tv and film is finally starting to take a lesson. Like, you know how TV, uh, TV's learned a lot of lessons and learned to put better content out there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and film is starting to very, very slowly take, uh, take some notes, I think. Uh, like, you see a lot of diversity in genre shows. You see a lot of diversity or, or, just, or just women written a lot better in, in, like, dramas on FX, AMC, and things like that. I love Broad City. Uh, I do too. <laughs> it's 
it's just a dirty, hilarious, awesome thing. And I could watch it every day. Right. I think it's a lot richer for them actually discussing their backgrounds too. You know, they acknowledge that they're two Jewish women. So when there are characters with certain other backgrounds, I, I do wish that the writers would acknowledge that, you know, their ethnicity or how they're raised and things. I think it makes characters so much richer and more well-rounded. Yeah. It, it, it's weird because like, it's almost like Broad City or or they're trying to present New York almost as a post-racial world. You know what I mean? In a way. And we're not there yet. Someday, someday maybe, but we're not there. So at some point we really do have to keep be mindful and, uh, and uh, not dismissive of people's concerns. But or like Pawnee on Parks and Recreation, race is almost it was is never an issue. And in a way, it's good, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, it's nice to watch and not feel like this is a world without racism. And how look how pleasant it is uh, in Pawnee. It also doesn't delve delve into the harder questions, right. you know, of of you know of, of racial identity, of gender identity. You know, they can just present somebody. Everybody treats them nicely. And what the, and the hope is that people are going to walk away and treat people nicely now. Right. And I'm uh, glad that, uh, you know, if not with the Tom character in Pawnee, that I'm really glad Aziz Ansari did that with Master of None. So that was oh, the, the perfect yeah. venue for that. So more of that also, please. I mean, they're definitely good examples of things happening that um, resonate with audiences. That horror movie, uh, Walk Home, that was one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen on Master of None. Uh, the girl... Uh, the girls walking home with 911 pre-dialed. Oh, yeah, I know. It happens in New York. I remember being followed from the subway. I'd walk to the police station. Oh, wow. See, I feel this is going to sound weird. Sometimes I like that I'm heavy because I feel like I'm protected from all of this. And yeah. I know there's some guys that, that this doesn't for them. But, uh, Definitely. But yeah, I know you can, well, you can never be too safe. My, again, my background is in psych- well, was once upon a time in psychology, and, and there have been studies that sometimes one of the reactions to having had sexual trauma can be to put on weight as a, as a defense mechanism in some circumstances to avoid uh, being attracted, the perception of being attractive to the other sex or having that sort of... Uh, Look what I've done. I took us on a tangent again. <laughs> yeah, no, not exactly. But I'm just saying, like, I can understand that because sometimes there is that even some little perception in some people's, some people's minds, but it's just, it is, it's hard. And I liked that Aziz went there and was like going, Hey, you know, I didn't realize it was just being really open within the, within the show, but I didn't realize what was going on or exactly how pervasive it was for my, for my friends and for you know women I knew, cause I just, I didn't think about it. And I think that's part of privilege is you don't have to think about it. So you don't until someone points it out and you go, Oh, but it's probably not that bad. And then when the person's standing there telling you, but it is that bad because they're experiencing it. You really just need to shut up and listen sometimes, I think, is really yeah, the great thing there. about what we've got now as far as social media and so many people having it and having access to be able to say what they want is you've got people pointing out equality. But then you've got a bunch of other people that uh, are aggressively saying, what are you complaining about? Yes, I know. There's the backlash all the time. And, um, you know, there's so many articles now about how women do get harassed online for yeah. being Cool. It's absolutely true. People try to shut you down. People create accounts just to do that. Uh, they hound you. You just have to block them. But yeah, I see so many women um, where that's happening with them, you know, from Lexi Alexander to all of us, where, gosh, whoever these people are, are spending their time just trying to silence women because as if we don't, you know, 
get enough lines and representation and all kinds of stuff, but just in social media too. No, women need to vocalize everywhere. And, you know, we could probably spend another whole podcast talking about master of none, but yeah, specifically that episode of listen to the women. What I'd like to know before we part is uh, what's coming up for you. What are you doing? Is there anything that you do have coming up for yourself or bitch pack or that you recommend? Uh, summer film festival season, all that stuff. Yeah, well, uh, well, personally, for the summer, my friend Allison Stolpa and I have given ourselves a three-month block of time to make a short film to submit to festivals. And we are really lucky that we're being joined by some friends who are going to give us a hand. Because I think the the moment you say you want to do something, people are really willing to help. So we have uh, Jacques Bratbar from Phantom Planet helping us compose music for this project. And we have some films doing, I mean, <laughs> some friends uh, helping with special effects, Joe White, uh, um, who does a lot of stuff for Nerdist. So we will keep you guys posted on that. Uh, we started a Twitter handle for it, and it, it's a good giggle. It's at T-R-V-C-V-L-T, and then the word uh, detective, leave off the E. So uh, we'll be tweeting from there. And then um, you know, my old neighbor, Andrew Jackson, who's a wonderful uh, DP, we are working on um, a future project together called Cuffing Season, where we would be co-directing. So, you know, I applied to some programs for that and uh, LA Film Fest Fast Track. So we're going to be exploring some funding and we'll keep our fingers crossed. But um, that one is at underscore Cuffing Season. So both of those projects will uh, exemplify film inclusion. And, you know, we hope uh, we'll get them off the ground sooner than later. And definitely the short film, we will kick ourselves in the ass until August 1st and have something for you. So we're looking forward to sharing all that. Awesome. And finally, last question, where can people find the bitch pack in specific? Uh, well, mostly on Twitter at B I A T C H P A C K. And, um, you know, I'm really glad, um, this is something I tweeted out that, um, women like Janice men from the Hollywood reporter, uh, have been saying, you know, to elevate everyone, we have to act as a pack. So I'm, I'm glad for our pack power of everyone on this broadcast today and everyone on Twitter and just all over the place is that when we all believe in the same things and how we can help improve ourselves and everyone that we will just have better choice and better representation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So Thank happy you so to much here. for being with this us. This is awesome. I'm so honored. So happy. We'd like to thank Tope Wynn for sitting down with us for this, our very first podcast. As she said, be sure to look them up at bitchpack.com and on Twitter at biatchpack, that's B-I-A-T-C-H-P-A-C-K. We found our music in YouTube's royalty-free music section. It's A Long Cold by Riot. Be sure to check out more of their lovely atmospheric tracks. If you want to learn more about us, you can always see what we're up to at legendarywomen.org. What we're writing about at our Medium collection at medium.com slash legendary-women. And other things we're passionate about on Twitter at legendarywomen, Facebook at facebook.com slash legendarywomen, and Tumblr at legendarywomen.tumblr.com. We believe that every woman deserves to be legendary. If you think so too, and if you love what we do, be sure to find us and like, follow, subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for our next episode on SoundCloud and iTunes next month.